This podcast is brought to you by Most Valuable Podcasts, leading the league in podcasting entertainment. What's up, what's up, everybody? Ricky Widmer here, along with the one, the only, Brandon Swanee Swanson. Hey, hey, hey. And we are back for another edition of the Primetime Podcast right here on Most Valuable Podcast, talking a little college football, talking a little college basketball. Got a jam-packed show because we got both, Brandon, talking college basketball because John Beeline could be making a beeline right out of college. See what I did there? Making a beeline right out of college basketball to the NBA. Him might be the head coach of the Detroit Pistons. Then we're going to look at the NBA draft, taking a look at Grayson Allen. I had to think about it because all day I've been saying Grayson Young, and I have no idea (laughs) why. But we're going to see how high he should be drafted in the NBA draft. Then we're going to go into college football and talk about Florida State. DeAndre Francois, should he be starting this year? What should FSU do in Willie Taggart's first season as head coach of the Seminoles. But before we get into everything, a little bit of housekeeping here. Number one, make sure to check out patreon.com backslash Podcast. That's where you help support the channel. You can also come on a podcast each and every month. You're at the $10 tier. So check that link down below in the description, also in the description, or at mosvellepodcast.com. You can check out our store. Get yourself an MVP t-shirt. And also on mosvellepodcast.com, you can check out everything for MVP each and every day. And then last but not least, make sure to go on Apple Podcasts and Apple iTunes. Give the Primetime Podcast a five-star rating and then type a little something about why people should check it out. It'd be much appreciated by both Brandon and myself. But Brandon, let's jump into everything. And we're going to start with John Beeline. Because before the weekend, it came out, you know what? John is interviewing with the Pistons. And I looked at my phone and I saw it and I went, oh. Ooh, this could be pretty damaging for Michigan, not really for John Beeline, but for the Michigan program. We're going to look at that probably at the end, but the thing I want to ask you, just plain and simple to start this, should John Beeline leave Michigan for the Pistons? I I don't necessarily think so. Um, And part of that is because what John Beeline's doing with Michigan, clearly what we saw by by this past season, Mm -hmm. I think they had the... The most wins that they've ever ever had with 33, uh, at least on, on, under him, they showed that they're a good team, a competitive team in the Big Ten, and a team that can compete with some of the other big programs even outside of the Big Ten and mm-hmm. the big teams, uh, you know, that everyone is always talking about and and everything like that. And I think that the way that they now always always. Come tournament time, you're going to need a little bit of luck, and they certainly got that. I mean, we all remember the game against Houston where they won it right at the end at the buzzer. Mm -hmm. And there's always going to be that type of excitement and stuff in games, and it could have gone either way. But this Michigan team, they had had a lot of really good pieces, and it's because John Beeline knows how to put a team together that way. And and the way that he runs his offense is kind of spread the floor with some – some really good skill shooters and, mm-hmm. and be able to kind of hurt you that way. I, I just don't think that you go for, for him, for him, it doesn't necessarily make sense to me because I don't really think that he'd be going for a, a bigger payday. Um, that, that, that wouldn't necessarily, I don't, I, I don't want to say that it wouldn't make sense because, of course, if you can get more money, then well, you do that. But it, it, it wouldn't make sense the way that he's doing it. The so, only thing I want to throw out about that, sure. and this is the other side of it, 
yeah, you're going to make more money with the Pistons because NBA teams will pay more than Michigan teams. But because of where we're at now, and I'll let you read the Woj bomb that basically he dropped. I'm going to call it a Woj bomb that he dropped before we were recording about Beeline. The thing that he can use now with this tweet coming out is basically, you know what? I did this. I got this far. When my contract comes up or before my contract comes up, maybe Michigan might have to uh, pony up a little more dough to keep me around at Michigan because, you know what, I can leave for the NBA whenever I want. So reading an article earlier, Mm -hmm. they brought up that point, and they brought up how for Michigan last year, I believe it was a softball coach, that they were in talks and it wasn't going anywhere, wasn't going anywhere, took a long time, and... You know, eventually something got done, but it them going and, and interviewing at any other place wasn't going to help them get more money from Michigan, mm-hmm. which is they were talking about that this wouldn't be the way to go about trying to do that because Michigan still may not pony up any more money mm-hmm. just because you're going to do that. Um, I, I just, I guess I think you, what, what really intrigues me, number one, is the fact that you had couple of weeks ago, conversation with Michigan AD to to talk about this contract. And after that conversation, you say, basically, be be on the lookout. Something's coming. Mm -hmm. Well, it's been three weeks since that conversation, and there's nothing here yet. Yeah. Nothing has been signed. No contract is ready. Mm -hmm. There's nothing. So the fact that you're going out and you're looking, and as... This article that I read earlier, too, that says, you, if you go out and you're looking, mm-hmm. you're obviously looking because you think that you well, could get a better job. But, but my, my question to that would okay. be, are the Detroit Pistons a team in the East that's a, mm-hmm. uh, like, what were they, ninth place team in the East this they year? They would have been the 12th pick, I believe, in the draft. And they... If they th- didn't trade to the Clippers. And that was Griffin. with, a, what, a 39 and 43 record or something, yeah. something like that? They were you're, bad. You're not good. You're under mm-hmm. 500. Why would you leave a successful program that you're building at mm-hmm. Michigan, that you've built and are still building on, mm-hmm. to leave them for an NBA team that's nowhere near necessarily being competitive? This is where I would I was going to jump in with the, the reason why I don't think it's the former of what I mentioned with the, hey, I'm going to do this to try to get more money out of Michigan is because Beeline's been there since 2007. Yes, he's been to two national championships, lost them both. I think the first one was to Louisville, then this last one to Villanova-Hova. But the thing why I feel like this is for real when it comes to John Beeline is this could be the the perfect opportunity for him because I don't think John Beeline cares that he's going to a I'm going to be nice and say subpar team in the Detroit Pistons. The thing you got to think about is, like, I'll use an example. Everyone right now down 2-0 is talking about LeBron James. Where is he going to go? Where is he going to go? Is he going to Houston? Is he going to Philadelphia? And the thing that NBA players or former NBA players bring up in these, these segments on ESPN, Fox News, everything is the only way they can see him staying in Cleveland is basically, oh, does he want to uproot his family? Does he want to uproot his kids or does he want him to go to the same high school he did in Akron, Ohio? Well, if we take that and apply it to this, 
I'm looking Ann Arbor on Google Maps that right now, if we took a drive from Ann Arbor to Detroit, 43 minutes. So it's not that long of a commute from, and I'm not saying that John Beeline's in Ann Arbor. He could be around the area. It's a close drive to Detroit. Doesn't have to move his family. Doesn't have to shake up his life. He can keep that the same and make the jump to the NBA. And the thing that I think of is a lot of people will say, well, college coaches have not been successful in the NBA. But here, I'm going to give you one, and this is where I think John Beeline falls in, is one thing that people have said, is John Beeline known as a phenomenal recruiter, like a, I'll say a Calipari-type recruiter, where he's bringing in big names left and right? No. He's been a guy, I'm going to recruit the smaller guys, and then coach him up. Who knew when he was coming into college who Abdul Rahman was? Nobody. Who probably knew who Mo Wagner was? Nobody. Unless you covered recruiting really deep and cared about recruiting really deep. Because I know there's a pocket of people out there that follow recruiting every pulse every day. But the thing I'm going at is I compare it almost to Brad Stevens. Brad Stevens at Butler probably because he was at Butler, and most people, unless you're a huge college basketball fan, couldn't find Butler on a map if you told them to. Go up to a random person on the street, show them a map of the United States, say, find Butler. They wouldn't be able to go, oh, it's in Indianapolis. They just wouldn't be able to. But he was able to bring in the guys he brought in and coach that team up to a national championship appearance. Was able to coach them up not just to one, but two national championship appearances, much like John Beeline. That's why I'm kind of thinking, and maybe this is because we've seen it already, a coach like that who has coached subpar players compared to like the Kentuckys and everything up to a national championship, well, Brad Stevens is able to do that in Boston, but Boston, the thing that they have that Detroit doesn't have is they had Danny Ainge, and Danny Ainge helped Brad Stevens by getting him young talent like Jalen Brown, like Terry Rozier, like Jason Tatum, guys that could work better with a Brad Stevens and then give you a Gordon Hayward and a Kyrie, although they were injured this year. I feel like that will be the closer mold or the closer like way we would look at John Beeline in the NBA compared to those other ones that we feel like they're failing. I'm not saying he'd go to the Eastern Conference Finals, but I think he would have some sort of success in the NBA. So you look at some of the recent guys who've gone to the NBA. Fred mm-hmm. Hoiberg, one of the recent guys, he has not had success with the Chicago Bulls. Bulls are a dumpster the, fire. This, and this last season was so bad. What, 27-55? Mm-hmm. and 55. Uh, Billy Donovan with OKC. He's done well. Mm-hmm. He's had success. Um, but still not to the point that they want to be. They still mm-hmm. they can't get over that hump. Yeah. Um, Brad Stevens mm-hmm. has done well. He, he's he's done well with with uh, Boston. You look at guys though in the past. Lon Kruger he didn't do well with Illinois. Um, you've got uh, Calipari. Uh, where was where was he again when he was in the NBA? He didn't do well either. Mm-hmm. I mean, two guys. I think Rick that Patino. I don't think that they ever made the playoffs. I don't think Patino had any playoff no. appearances with the team that Patino, he was with. Patino, I think, was Boston. <clears throat> and here's and here's a here's a worry that if. 
John Beeline went to the NBA and let New, me and let me get this. By the this way, t- New Jersey was Calipari. Okay. The New Jersey Nets. Let me get this tweet out of the way from from Woj. So he says mm-hmm. Detroit is interested in further conversations with former Toronto coach Dwayne Casey and Michigan coach John Beeline on Pistons head coaching job. League sources tell ESPN mm-hmm. both coaches have met with the front offices already. So my whole thing is that do they want to go with a guy who? What he coaches is fundamentals. What he coaches is fundamentals. Mm-hmm. And if you go to the NBA, they think, yeah, we've got that down already. We've got, we, we're not fundamental. We don't need the, I don't want to say they don't need the fundamentals, mm-hmm. but they're past that. You know, we're not kids where we need to, you know, practice our passing. But, yeah. but a guy like Steve Kerr, mm-hmm. who when he came in, he had never coached anywhere before. The Warriors were mm-hmm. his first coaching gig, and he's been. God really looked out for him because he said, "I like you to have immediate success," and that's what he had. But he started off starting with fundamentals. Well, starting that's with Brad fun- Steven the same way. Starting with fundamentals of hey, make sure you have the right pass so mm-hmm. that your guy's not fumbling with it, and he can you know spot up and have a good mm-hmm. jumper. So all those types of things are important, but is he going to be received well by the players in the NBA? Not because of anything else, but because of if that's his coaching style where he's trying to get at fundamentals, he's going to be received well by college players, mm-hmm. of course, because they're still they're still progressing. They're still trying to to uh, you know change some things and grow into themselves and everything like that. NBA players are grown men for the most part, actually yeah. for the whole part. I mean, even if you are. Whatever age you are, twenty, you're in the NBA. You're 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 a man. Mm-hmm. Uh, but I, I think that I'm a is, man. Is, I'm is, forty. Is, is that <laughs> is that going to be something that maybe NBA players mm-hmm. like a guy like a Blake Griffin and Andre Drummond who are currently with Detroit? Are they gonna Are they gonna take well to that? Would they take be like, no, we need to do more. You know, we're we're struggling. We we need to do more than just fundamentals. Or would they say maybe we just need to go back to the fundamentals? I mean. Really, the two that kind of speak to me is, well, there's three that kind of speak to me veteran-wise on the Pistons. And that's Reggie Jackson, Blake Griffin, and DeAndre Drummond, because the only thing that they all have in common is they're the oldest veterans on this team. You look at the rest of this team, Luke Kennard is a young kid. Yes, he is. You got Stan Johnson, the manimal, is uh, a younger kid. He's 22, although you call him a man, I would say 22 is young. For NBA career, because well, you don't hit your prime until it's, twenty seven, twenty eight. But but are you still a are you still a, a man? You're in the yeah, NBA you're league. A man, you're a man like, to I'm, be in the be playing in the yeah, NBA. That's what I'm saying. NBA you're a, you may be a young man, yeah, but you're still a man. Though. NBA age twenty two is young, and then you also have like Henry Ellison, who's still a young kid in his NBA career. <laughs> and I mean, kids the wrong word. They're men, but I mean, like you said, young man. The thing I like most about Beeline, and this is Michigan fans will probably hate this because I am on the camp, back to the original question, should he go to Detroit? Yeah. If I was John Beeline, I'd be making a Beeline to Detroit. That's exactly – I'm going to use that joke yeah, you love until it. You I love just it. I milk everything really out like of it. A lot. But I would be going to Detroit because I feel like he'll have success in Detroit because, yeah, he's not like – he's had jobs – Everywhere He hasn't just been in Michigan the entire time, I don't believe. But I'm going to look up really quickly if he was, let's see, where was he born? So he's a New York guy. So he's not a Michigan guy. I mean, New York being that's where he was born, that's where he was raised. But he's been in Michigan since 2007. If you lived somewhere for a decade, I feel like you would have soaked in 
what it means to be that kind of a guy. He's a Michigan guy, and being close to Detroit can have that same kind of, hey, I'm coming into this job. I am Ann Arbor is close enough to Detroit. I'm the Detroit area. I'm the right coach for this job. And I love the fact that he's a fundamental guy. Another thing, I was reading an article, and they mentioned the point of like, oh, he's not a strong, he's not a guy that's known for being a strong recruiter, but he is a coach that I'm going to make those changes mid-game. And to me, if I was a front office, that's what I would want. A guy that can work with young kids because really, when you look at this landscape in the NBA, the Warriors did it. Boston has done it, although they got lucky because the Cavs gave them a gift in Kyrie Irving. But how do you build? You build through the draft. Steph Curry was drafted. Klay Thompson was drafted. Draymond Green was drafted. Yeah, they got KD through free agency. But that team, that championship team was already built through the draft. Jason Tatum was drafted. Terry Rozier was drafted. Jalen Brown was drafted. Built through the draft, that main young core Detroit can do the same thing with John Beeline, and I would like a coach that's already like, hey, you know what? I know that first that first half wasn't good. Be a guy to preach the fundamentals. Always be reminding his guys about those fundamentals, but then also be the coach to say, all right, we need to make this game plan change. We need to do this in the second half and be that coach to make changes. Because I'm watching the playoffs now, Brandon, and the biggest thing in most games is who makes the half halftime adjustment? Who makes it? The Celtics were good at that, especially at home. There's a reason why the Warriors come out of the gate in the third quarter like gangbusters because they make that halftime adjustment or they just turn it on, one of the two. But that is what I would want from my coach. Should he? I would say yes. But he doesn't have to because... Michigan is still, I would say, a cushy job for him because he's got a contract through 2021, and I don't see him getting fired before that. Uh, I would say, I, I would say no. I would say don't do it because mm-hmm. what we continue to kind of talk about is that he's this fundamentals coach. I think he's mm-hmm. going to have greater success in college, being able to work with those guys to really develop them, bring them out as much as they can, all their skills and everything like that, and I think help fine-tune that as well as he possibly can before they go Mm -hmm. to the NBA to be, you know, those NBA players. So that's why I think college is the best spot for him. And according to Sportsbook, they actually list him as the number three favorite to get this job. And uh, Dwayne Casey, I think, was number one. Do you know who the second guy was? Mm, I uh, I don't know why I can't think of his name right now. Because the thing I'll just say, because Dwayne Casey was in that Woj tweet, the reason why I would pick Beeline over Casey is, yes, Casey's been in the NBA. He's coached the Toronto Raptors. But do you want to bring in a college coach and be like, hey, he could be our version of Brad Stevens? Or would you bring in a coach? Yeah, he's brought a team to the number one seed, but they keep getting beat by LeBron every single year. So there's that with Dwayne Casey where it's like, yeah, were you really coach of the year this year or was it Brad Stevens? But also, yeah, you're a good regular season coach, but the playoffs is all that matters. Just get into the playoffs is what you need. Well, I'll be I'll be honest with you is that you just said it. Mm-hmm. Getting to the playoffs is what you need, mm-hmm. and right now they don't have it. Yeah, they don't so have they, it there. I think, I think going with Dwayne Building Casey— Building the wall with Stan Van wasn't going to do it. I, I, I think going with Dwayne Casey mm-hmm. is the smarter choice. 
I think it's the smarter choice, the wiser choice, and quite honestly, the safer choice. Mm-hmm. Um, but I, I, and sometimes the safe pick isn't the bad pick. But I think going with Dwayne Casey because he does have that experience in the mm-hmm. NBA. He does have that experience of being able to get to the playoffs and actually get there as a good seed so you you know how to be able to win in the regular season. Yes, you need to still improve on what you're able to do in the playoffs, but I think that he could improve on that. So I think Dwayne Casey is the right pick. I think John Beeline, his his best decision, I think, would be to stay in college. Now, it'll be really interesting if it comes down to those two guys as the finalists. It'll be really interesting to see what direction they end up going with and if Beeline ends up accepting the job if it's offered to him to see if what Michigan might do to try and keep him. Now, here's what I'm going to ask you. is Before I throw you a curveball, I want to say one thing, and then I'll throw you my curveball to end you it. You always throw a curveball, and I should already be prepared. The last thing I want to add is if he went to the NBA, two names that you mentioned were Billy Donovan and Fred Hoiberg, yes. also college coaches that came over. The unique thing about them is first Fred Hoiberg, they the second year I want to say he was here, he had the whole D-Wade, Jimmy Butler, Rondo being the voice of reason in that locker room, which is insane that Ray John Rondo was the voice of reason, but thank God we had him. He had that full debacle where front office said, we're getting rid of D-Wade, we're trading Jimmy Butler, we're letting Ray John Rondo go. Then this year you had, yeah, he had marketing, but he had the... Issues with Bobby Portis and Nico. That team's a mess. That front office is a mess. Yeah, so you I also think, have a terribly weak front office. I don't think it's all on, in that case, Fred Hoiberg. It's the front office's crap, too, with fire gar packs from the fans. With Billy Donovan, he had the whole, like, yeah, I'm doing well because I have KD and Russ, and oh, KD's in Golden State. Like, and then he had to deal with making Russ happy. Then in this year he had to deal with PG-13 and Mello. And, yeah, he got an extension. But those situations have been vastly different because for Billy Donovan, it's been the situation. Fred Hoiberg, it's been the front office. But can I say, though, is that those are mm-hmm. things that's going to happen as a head coach yep. you, that you have to work around? I mean, there's always going to be – there's always adversity within a season. I mean, it doesn't matter. It doesn't matter how that adversity happens, whether you lose a player, mm-hmm. you they, go, they go down, or you lose, the, you know, everyone that's – good um, or you're just the Cleveland Cavaliers and you, and you the only Conference have finals one good player with all your young players so I think it's I think it's one of those things where you it, it's kind of instilled in you as a coach mm-hmm. or it's not you either have it where you know how to work work around it and you know how to make the adjustments and you know the people to bring in and you know the guys to play in the right situations at the right time or you don't and I think that I'm not saying that Fred Hoiberg does not. Mm-hmm. I think Fred Hoiberg would have been much better suited in college. I think he's a, a college coach. I don't think that he's an NBA coach. He's a nice guy, but he's not an NBA coach. Billy Donovan, I think, is an NBA coach. Mm-hmm. He's a, obviously a great, outstanding college coach, but he's a coach who has showed that he can uh, you know, coach in the NBA. And now a lot of people, and they're already telling me to go screw off, that are Bulls fans, mm-hmm. saying that he's got nothing to work with. Yes and no, but I mean sometimes you have to you know try and get creative. But I, I think that again, Beeline would be is is one of those guys that he would just thrive more in college. I don't know if we'd ever see him thrive in the NBA. So here's the curveball I was going to ask you to end this segment before we go on to Grayson Allen. Do you or have you thought about let's say Beeline? makes the beeline for Detroit, and he's out of town. 
who does Michigan hire or who do they go after? Have you thought about that at all? No, because I, I don't, because I don't see Beeline leaving. Now I'm gonna so th- I don't need to think about it. Let me throw out a name and see what you think, a little reaction style. Thad Mata. If John Beeline leaves, I call up. I call up Thad Mata. He's the only. Two. He's really the only one available. Mm-hmm. He's well, really got, one of the only ones available right I've got now, and one it makes other. it makes sense because he knows the conference. He knows the talent. Ohio he knows State fans the, would be so angry, and I'd love it. But he knows the situation. He he would probably be one of the best fits mm-hmm. in terms of just the Big Ten. Oh man, that would feed so much rivalry back into the Michigan Ohio State rivalry at basketball. I got one other, and this one's if Thad Mata said no. If John Beeline leaves, Thad Mata says no. This is a guy that I believe is interviewing for one of the NBA jobs, but I don't think he's going to get it. He's an assistant with the Miami Heat. He has history with the Michigan program, Juwan Howard. He was with the Fad Five team. He's been an assistant under Eric Spolstra since 2013. Yeah, he might want an NBA job, but hey, if he doesn't get one, why not entice him over? It, the question is with him is how do you feel? Because some people have that stigma with former players being NBA head coaches before they prove themselves. I feel like that would be a stretch. I feel like on him it would be mm-hmm. quite quite the stretch for, for Michigan if Beeline were to leave. To go and try mm-hmm. and get get him. I think a guy like Thad Mata would be much more realistic to, to try and go after. And those are the two guys that right now I can only think about. Because if John Beeline does leave, he's putting the Wolverines in a tough spot. Put them in a real tough spot. Because most of the coaches that were fired or let go, they've already been let go. And they've found jobs somewhere else. But... This is where you want. Do you have any final thoughts before I kick it? I'm down? good. Okay. I've got it. This is where you guys come in. Let us know down below. Should John Beeline leave for the Detroit Pistons? What would he be like, and how would he succeed or not succeed as the head coach of the Detroit Pistons? And if he does leave, what happens to the Michigan Wolverines and their basketball program? Who do they hire? Who would you want them to hire? Let us know what you guys think down below in the comment section. Let's move on though into our next topic, Brandon, and actually. We are going from, I believe, we're going from the Detroit Pistons to a former Detroit Piston when they went on one of their, also a former bull, bull, by the way, but a former Detroit Piston when they were making their championship runs in the early to mid to late 2000s. And here's what Rip Hamilton had to say on CBS Sports. So he was asked, when it comes to the NBA draft, has anyone jumped out to you surprised you someone you think we need to keep an eye on and here's what his response was Grayson Allen they had a workout in LA and a lot of NBA execs they had about a hundred of them there what I'm hearing from some of my guys that are connected to a lot of teams is that this guy who really impressed them he plays with the heart that you need to play with he has that pit bull mentality they have this drill where you have to shoot 25 threes, and he knocked down 20 out of 25. Everyone knows how athletic he is. He's off the charts with the, with the athletic ability. Everyone projected him to go anywhere from 20 to 30. This is a guy that could sneak into the top 15 to 20. He's impressed a lot of scouts. He's impressed me just by watching some of his tape. I think he's a guy that can really move up in the NBA draft. And quote. Here's what I'm going to ask you, Brandon. How high will Grayson Allen be drafted? 
Well, first of all, I just want to let you know that the Oakland Athletics selected Kyler Murray. Did they? They did. Nice. Um, so we were uh, talking about that last week. We were. Uh, so I wouldn't how, want to play for Oakland. I'll stay. I'll stay with Texas. Huh? <laughs> uh, so how? Because I don't. Th- I don't think do he'll you, go. Top, how, I, don't, I don't think he'll fi- get top fifteen. Top fifteen is a real. That means he's a lottery top, pick. Top fifteen is a real stretch with Grayson Allen. I think that he's still between twenty and thirty. Mm-hmm. And the reason that I think he's between twenty and thirty is because Ricky, we've seen Grayson Allen. We yeah. saw Grayson we saw Allen this live. past year. Mm-hmm. Yes, live in person. He played really we could well. Reach that out too. and touch him. Mm-hmm. We we couldn't. But reach um, out and touch me. But he. Played extremely well, mm-hmm. like like you said, he played extremely well. And Grayson Allen has these has these stretches where he just turns it on and he lights it up, and he lit it up that night. Mm-hmm. And he was so good, and they needed him to be so good because that was the night that Mar- Marvin Bagley took a finger to the eye and left at the mm-hmm. very beginning of the first half, like maybe a couple minutes in. So they needed Grayson Allen. He's an energy guy. He is. Absolutely a passionate energy guy, but he will disappear sometimes. Mm-hmm. There are games where Grayson Allen, you're not even sure if he was on the floor for 20 minutes. Mm-hmm. And also, we talk about the guys like the Trey Youngs. We talk about the guys like the Colin Sextons. What we can certainly say about Grayson Allen is he's not a true point guard. And has Grayson Allen already capped off where what he's going to be? Mm-hmm. And why I brought up the other two is because we don't believe that they're rightfully so, anywhere near what they're going to end up being five years down the road. Grayson Allen, what you see right now may be what you get. And that's one thing where I'm looking at the top 15 of the NBA draft. I don't see a single team that would take, that I would feel comfortable taking him in the top 15, where I feel like top 10 for sure, no way he goes in the top 10. Like, Charlotte I wouldn't take him there. The Clippers, I wouldn't take him at either of their picks. Denver, I wouldn't take him at 14. Then I kind of go down 15 through 20. That's where I feel like if he's going to rise, that's the highest he'll go. But someone's going to have to take a stab on him. In my mind, right now, I think either two things will happen for Grayson Allen. Right now, I came up with my first draft of our mock draft that we're going to have on the fast break. And I'll let you know about this now because it's probably going to change by Friday. Um, But right now I have Grayson Allen in the second round. I actually have it to where there's a certain team that actually trades into the second round, like gives up cash or a future second just to grab him in the second round. Because I feel like if he's in the second round, a team will do that. A team with championship pedigree will say, we need this kid, or a young team that's like, we need this kid, let's give away a future second, or do what the Bulls and Warriors did with Jordan Bell, where the whatever team's draft pick it is, hey, we'll just give you cash, give us that pick, and we'll take Grayson Allen. But if he's going to go in the first round, I have three teams back-to-back-to-back where I could see him going. 26 to Philly, 27 to Boston, 28 to Golden State. And originally, I had him slotted in at Golden State because that, to me, would be a dream for him. It's a team that loves to shoot the three. He gets to go to a—the best thing about the Warriors is their environment. Festa Azili today was on Colin Cowherd, and when he was talking about his time with the Warriors, he said the best part about it is— He's like, that locker room, it's just fun to play basketball. 
and they just look like they're having fun. And like, it's just, it makes you feel like I'm having fun out there, which part of it is when you're winning, you're having fun. But I mean, that's what life is. I feel like he'd be able to fit in at Golden State. He'd be a better version, a better, younger version of Nick Young. That's what I feel like, because he can shoot the three. He'd be a two guard who has some point guard tendencies. But the thing I like him for either one of those three, mainly Boston or Golden State, yeah, he's had his problems in the past tripping players with the right coach, (laughs) Brad Stevens, Steve Kerr, um, or Brett Brown maybe, but more Brad Stevens, Steve Kerr, he can be coached. And also, as a freshman, he has championship experience. Yeah, it's only the NCAA championship, but he has that experience to where, hey, I can bring this kid in. He's not a freshman, and he has that pedigree. I can bring him in and not have to worry about him fading away in the playoffs. He can help us and maybe give us some quality minutes off the bench with my already playoff-ready team. So, Ricky, here's the thing that worries me with Grayson Allen, too. His 15-16 season at Duke was outstanding. Mm -hmm. He ended it, he averaged 21.6 points per game. He was just lighting it up. He was was just all over the place in a good way. The two years after that, he dropped down to, I think, 15 and 14 or 14 and 15 Mm -hmm. points per game. Huge drop-off. Less games started. He started 10 less games the next year, and I believe maybe played in one less game the next year. You said 2015-16? 15-16 was his best season. Okay. 16-17, big drop-off. Mm-hmm. And then 17-18, he, I think he maybe came back just a little bit. But he went down significantly from where he was in 15-16. A huge drop-off. Again, I know that he did not start the same amount of games the next year in 16-17, but, I mean, a complete huge drop-off in production. That's not comforting. I mean, it's not comforting when you say that, but here's the thing I think of, and I'm doing the research right now to see if it fits. So let's go back to that good year you said, 15-16. And if I look at... That Duke roster, they had Luke Kennard, who was a freshman. I love saying it that way, by the way. They had Brandon Ingram, who was a freshman. They had um, Marshall Plumley was one of their captains. But really, like when I look at that team, Luke Kennard, Brandon Ingram, Grayson Allen. That was his sophomore year after he won the national championship the year before. Brandon Ingram was probably the number one guy on that team. Grayson Allen was not covered up. He could be either two or three on that team. Then I go to 2016-2017. That roster consisted of Luke Kennard was there still. Brandon Ingram was in the NBA. But it's basically Harry Giles didn't play much, but he was on that team. Jason Tatum was a freshman on that team. Yet again, JT the main guy. Luke Kennard, bigger role. Grayson Allen falls a little bit. And then this year, this Duke team was stacked. This Duke team, Gary Trent, Trayvon Duvall, Marvin Bagley, Wendell Carter. Too many cooks. Too many cooks in the kitchen. It's you like, think that's it? You I think, think, you think that's, that's it. it? I know. Maybe not the 16-17, but definitely this year was Marvin Bagley and Wendell Carter were the one-two on that team, the best players on that team. That's why they're going to be drafted in the lottery, maybe both of them in the top ten, depending on if Wendell falls or not. 
but most people are trending him upward. And then you also had Gary Trent and Trayvon Duvall who were really good for that team. And Coach K had to find a way to make them all work. That's the only reason I can think because Grayson Allen to me, when I watched him play this season and when we watched him live, it wasn't like a, whoa, this dude lost a step from those years. It was just there were so many good players and his stats went down a little bit because they were going to someone else. That's what I would think it is. Well, when I when I saw him play in uh, in that game, mm-hmm. and that game was against Michigan State, I, I thought, and I think, and Dave was with us as well. Mm-hmm. I mean, I think we could have probably all pegged him, and maybe already did peg him for like player of the year. But think for, like, about player it, player of the year, right here. Here's the thing to think about also. A, Marvin Bagley was injured, like you said. He got injured very early in that game after getting poked in the eye. So that also helped, not having Bagley out there. All right, that's one less player that is going to take points away from anybody on the court. But two, even if Marvin Bagley played significant minutes in that game, I believe that was game one of the year for Duke or game two of the year. I think it was game one for Duke. So for me, Marvin Bagley wasn't the player that he was towards the end of the year. Wendell Carter wasn't the player he was at the end of the year. As this team started to mature over the year or over the season, Grayson Allen took more of a backseat role. Not saying that's bad, but he let like the Bagley Wendell Carter take the front and I'm just going to help the team any way I can. But I guess my my whole thing is is that I don't need him to go out there and score mm-hmm. 30 a game. No, you don't. And and he and he's not going to, but when you drop off 6 or 7 points in production, mm-hmm. that's huge. And you don't want to be that guy that that is really showing up for some games and then just disappears, which is what he did at, mm-hmm. in, at times down the stretch. And yes, Duke was fortunate that they had the Bagleys, the Carters, to be able to pick up the production and 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 uh, you know keep Duke going and in those games, but as as good as Grayson is with certain things, he's got the size six four six five. He's got the size. Size is there, no problem with that. Mm-hmm. He's a really good spot up three ball shooter. He's also really good without the ball. I, I think that he's got some really really good tools in that sense. He's a poor defender when it comes down to it, and he needs to get better there. Mm-hmm. But he also cannot be the guy who just goes. He cannot be the guy who's on the floor for 22 minutes and has seven points. And I'm not saying that's going to be him no. by any stretch, but you don't want to do that. You don't want mm-hmm. to get that reputation of you could be on the floor for 25 minutes and have 25 points, or you could be on the floor for 25 minutes and have 10. The only thing that bugs me from his stats, and I'm only looking at 2015 to um, 20, like the 2015, 2016, and then this past year. I'm omitting the 15, 17 because I'm looking from where you started to where you are now. The points per game doesn't bug me because 15 points per game, if you're giving that to me, I'm not saying he's going to do that off the bench, but even if you're giving me 13 off the bench as a Warrior Celtic team, I'm good with that. No, that's I mean that's I'm good with that. That's that's good. Mm-hmm. But he's I mean he's he's doing that as a as a starter and everything. Yeah. I mean the role is different. And, but I'm I, and I'm not saying that points is everything. Mm-hmm. That's certainly not it. But for a guy like Grayson Allen, where guess what? 
points are going to be mostly yeah, everything when you're a three-ball shooter. Well, the thing, and that's the thing that worries me. So looking through it, I'll go right through. The points don't bother me at 15.5, but like you said, that's at starter minutes. Does that go down if he's not at starter minutes, also against greater competition at the next level? I mean, I don't, it's not great that you're, assist to steal is it's almost one-to-one but it's favoring you're turning the ball over like almost half a time more than you're stealing the ball the thing I like is that he went up by almost an assist a game I would almost like that to go up a little bit more but I get you're going to be more of my two guard that's a spot up shooter maybe with some point guard tendencies if I need you to handle the ball in any situation I mean the free throw shooting is up the I mean the overall field goal percentage is down, but mainly that's because the two percentages around the same. The thing that worries me is the three point percentage. Because 2015, 2016, he's averaging six attempts per game. He's nailing 41, almost 42%. That's great. That's what I want to see. But then it's like, all right, I'm giving you one almost two more attempts a game, and you're dropping to 37, which I think is more towards league average. I know we looked at that last week, but that's what worries me the most. With more, the more f- three point per f- attempts I give you, your percentage drops from almost forty two to thirty seven from beyond the arc, and that would be my concern from a guy who, yeah, he hit twenty five of or twenty of twenty five threes in a gym with no one guarding him. But also, I believe Jamal Murray hit like 98 of 100 threes for Boston in a gym with no one guarding him. And that's nothing against Jamal Murray, but how's he been doing for the Nuggets or the Nuggets a playoff team? That one drill doesn't say everything about a player at the next level. And a guy that Grayson Allen has been compared to Mm -hmm. is Eric Gordon from the Houston Rockets. And Eric, Great six, man. And I was just going to say, and Eric Gordon this year in 69 games, 18 points, about two assists, shooting almost 36% from three. I could take that. Mm-hmm. I could take that. I, if he could do that, if Grayson Allen could do that at the next level, I'd be happy with that. But my biggest concern when it comes down to Grayson Allen is the tools are there, but it's the consistency. It is the consistency to carry that from game to game. If you are the sixth man, can you carry that energy, which he most likely could because Mm -hmm. he's, like I said at the beginning of this segment, he's an energy and passion guy. He's exactly what you'd want in the type of sixth man coming Mm -hmm. off the bench. But can you carry that in terms of your production that you that you give your team off the bench. And that's why for me the two teams that I the, the three that I'm going to go back to the three that I mentioned earlier, the 76ers, the Boston Celtics, and the Golden State Warriors because I think either of those three teams, 26 or 28, that's really where I feel like as high as Grayson Allen will go and those will actually be to me the best three situations for him because, I mean, I'll start from worst to best. The worst situation out of the three, I would say, is the Philadelphia 76ers because, yeah, he'll get to play with guys like Joel Embiid, who's also an energy guy. He'll get to play with Ben Simmons, who's one of the 
up and coming players. And I know people are going to get mad. I call him up and coming, but he's most likely going to be one of the best players in the NBA once the LeBrons, the KDs are all said and done. Um, and then you have also Markel Fultz if he ever decides to actually play basketball like he did at the end of the year, not like he did at the beginning of the year. But the thing that the only reason why I would put them in is for Grayson Allen, and I don't want to knock Brett Brown, but I kind of do. He's not the same kind of coach as Steve Kerr or Brad Stevens. If And we won't find this out until after the draft. Now, if the 76ers got LeBron James then it would be a beautiful situation for Grayson Allen because he can just be coached by LeBron James and kind of LeBron can, I'm not saying literally take him under the wing, but he can learn from the best player in the NBA. Then there's Boston. That would be my number two. Great coach who's going to coach him up and he works well with young players. He doesn't have to be anything special right off the bat. They have Marcus Smart if they bring him back because he's an RFA this year. They have Terry Rozier, who is still under contract for one more year, another young player. But at shooting guard, it would be him and Gordon Hayward. So, yeah, they have Marcus Smart and Terry Rozier to kind of put in there, depending on when Kyrie's back, how they do that. But they can fit him into that two guard, and he'll just be on the depth chart, the only other shooting guard than Gordon Hayward. Then there's my best spot, and that would be Golden State. Not only do you get Steve Kerr, not only do you get – Guys like KD, um, Clay Thompson, Steve Curry. Like I said Steve before, Curry. Or Steph Curry. Why did I say Steve Curry? Steve Curry. <laughs> Steph Curry. Okay. His, 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 his younger brother, younger than uh, his other brother. That's Steve Curry. Seth, Steve, and Steph. Those are the three Curry. No one talks about Steve Curry enough. No one does. It's kind of like uh, Cooper Manning. No one talks about Coop. No one talks about Stephen Curry enough, but they're there. Um, Steph and Curry, though. <laughs> You have those three guys also Draymond Green, so you don't have to be the main starter, but I just feel like he would be a better version of Nick Young. I know Nick Young has been not Swaggy P, but Uncle P this year, but Swaggy P is coming off a contract. Just replace Nick Young with a younger version in Grayson Allen, and basically he could then be that kind of, I kind of want to say like a, some sort of a six man, but not really the six man because Andre Iguodala and Sean Livingston are still on that team. But if they need like, oh, Clay Thompson goes down or Clay Thompson needs a rest, let me throw Grayson Allen out there, much like they're doing with Nick Young right now. That's what I think would be his best option and where I hope he gets drafted if he goes in the first round. I think to go back to the original question mm-hmm. again, though, do you think that I could see him at 15, go all the way up to 15, no. be, a, be a lottery pick. No. no, there's too many questions. No. There's well, too many There's too many question marks around him for him to be that high to go 15. Well, it's not just that. It's To me, it's not really questions. It's just if I'm selecting someone. Oh, no, there, someone, there are questions for no, me. No, no, no. There are questions. I'm not doubting that. But for me, it's not if there's questions about him. To me, if I am drafting you in the lottery – 99.9% of the time, if I'm drafting you in the lottery, I'm expecting you to start. Well, yeah. And I don't want I mean, that Grayson too, Allen to be obvious. my starting two guard. And that's what I'm saying. I feel like Grayson Allen, especially in his rookie year, would be more fit to a six-man bench role than a starting two guard right out of the gate. But that's also why I think that the comment is kind mm-hmm. of crazy. Because then you, yeah, because you're you're then making the assumption that Grayson Allen's going to be an NBA starter, which Mm -hmm. I don't think anybody, 
probably nobody ever thought that he, he was going to be an NBA starter from and, the get-go. And it could be, to be honest, when he, and I'll go back to the original point where he says the fact that he's impressing a lot of scouts and a lot of execs, there's, you got to separate the, just because you impress an NBA exec doesn't mean they're going to say, boom, let's take him at 13. Like, yeah, sometimes that happens, but it might be now, it might be the case of, hey, you know what? Maybe he's fallen to, and I'm not going to say fallen because he's not supposed to go in the top 15 for me, but let's say he goes to like 23 in Indiana and some team goes, hey, let's trade up for him. I could see that happening to where between 15 and 20 or 15 and 25. If a team goes, a team that's back or a team that's not in the first round goes, hey, I like him. Let me trade up for him. I just don't see that happening. I just see him going straight through. He'll go 26 through 28. Those will be the teams I look at. And then if not, he's a second round talent to me. Mm -hmm. And even if he's in the second round, I don't think he's going to be one of those second rounders that's like, well, we drafted him. He's out of the league in a couple years. He might be one of those second rounders where we look at it and it's like, wow, like a Draymond Draymond Green-esque in the sense of we look at him on a team and go, man, he's not a guy that's going to be your Steph Currys, your Clay Thompsons, your Kevin Durants, but he's a really good role player for that team off of the bench, though, where Draymond's a starter. Grayson would be off the bench in a six-man role. That's what I would think would be his cap in the NBA. I agree with you. I agree with you. I don't. I don't really see Grayson Allen unless it was a situation like where the with the Chicago Bulls, and you have certain at guys. No, I'm okay. not talking about that. I'm, I'm not talking about a, a spot that you're mm-hmm. at. I'm talking about a situation like the Bulls this past year. Guys were on that who were mm-hmm. on that team were starting that you would never see them starting yeah. for other NBA teams. It's because the Bulls mm-hmm. are in such disarray all over the place that you had to start. Mm-hmm. That's the only type of situation that I would see Grayson Allen starting because not because he's not talented, but because that's just not necessarily going to be the role that he's going to be asked to play when it comes to the NBA. Like, let me throw out a name for you. Like, oh, here's a good one because Bulls fans were talking about giving him a contract. Like Sean Kilpatrick. Remember when we got him and he played nine games really well, won us some games we probably should have lost, and that's why we're. Dr- I'm not getting on. I'm not getting on that. This is the primetime podcast, not the Bulls podcast. But any <laughs> final thoughts on Grayson Allen before I blow a gasket about my Bulls? No, I'm good. This is where you guys come in. Let us know what you think about Grayson Allen. How high do you think he'll be drafted? What do you think about Rip Hamilton's comments about Grayson Allen? Where do you think he'll go? What teams would you like to see him on? Because he's kind of a guy with what range I think he'll be in. We don't necessarily have to talk where he'll go. It's more of what team you'll want to see him on and where he fits in best for you. Mm-hmm. So let us know yeah. all that down below in the comment section. But, Brandon, let's end the podcast talking about a little college football. Not a college football, but we're talking college <laughs> football here to end the podcast. Talking a little Florida State. And there was an article on ESPN that basically said a little inside. They said inside Florida State's complicated quarterback battle. So, The question that I wanted to bring up and the question I'm going to ask you to start the segment is basically this. DeAndre Francois, coming off an injury of last year, injured against Alabama, was injured all year. Will DeAndre Francois be the starting quarterback for the Seminoles 
this year? I think yes. I think the answer has to be yes. If you have a healthy DeAndre Francois, mm-hmm. that's got to be the guy that you go with. And the reason being is because look at what he did for you two years ago. That's something that you cannot forget. And those those stats again, because I know we're all about you know stats, over 3,300 yards, 3,350 to be exact, 20 touchdowns, 7 interceptions mm-hmm. in 13 games. And then, of course, you know, you play against Alabama, you go down towards the end of the game that you're already losing, heartbreaking. But what DeAndre Francois is able to bring to the table, I think, is more than what James Blackman would be able to bring. While James Blackman had some games where it looked like he was finally starting to come into his own, he still had too many mistakes. Mm-hmm. He's not what De- DeAndre Francois freshman, is. Though. Oh, I know. Okay. I know. I just want De- to throw that DeAndre out Francois was also a freshman when he. Well, was... redshirt red freshman. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, there's a difference. He's I technically know. a sophomore if he's a redshirt freshman. I know, but I'm just saying. I'm just saying. I'm just saying. He had a year of experience. That's all I'm saying. So. <laughs> I think that when you look at James Blackman, Mm -hmm. and this is what I said back when this was all happening, Blackman was going to be the starter. He's about this big. Mm -hmm. He's not able to do this. this He's he's not able to do the same types of things that DeAndre Francois is able to do. And Francois is able to, I think, move a little bit more mobily. Um, You know, with the football, he's he's not going to you know hold under center. Mm -hmm. I think he's. Just better at that. He he brings he brings also I think a better threat behind center, mm-hmm. and their de- defenses aren't going to be able to stack the box against the run. They're yeah. definitely going to have to drop back. They cannot be all in on you know stacking the box mm-hmm. because you know there's you've got a weapon there behind center. My whole thing is that again, if you have a healthy DeAndre Francois. Guy who's not in any trouble, no, nothing with you know marijuana that he's, that he's holding for his mm-hmm. girlfriend. I I think that he's got to be your guy because he gives you the best chance to win. Now here's the thing I was kind of thinking about, and the marijuana thing I kind of want to get to in a little bit. Not necessarily because like he wasn't charged for anything, but I want to get with get on that because of Willie Taggart coming in. DeAndre Francois not being a guy that Willie Taggart recruited, and if that means anything. But the thing I want to get to first with me is the big question that I have about DeAndre Francois because when you look at the stats, they're not even close. DeAndre Francois threw the air almost three, over 3,000 yards, and the thing I like the most, 20 touchdowns, 7 interceptions. He was well above in his touchdown-to-interception ratio. James Blackman. Just over 2,000 yards, 19 touchdowns, 11 interceptions. Almost the same touchdowns. However, he threw more interceptions. And when it comes to running the ball, they're virtually opposite sides of the world where Blackman had negative 39 yards all year, whereas DeAndre Francois in his last full season had almost 200 rushing yards and five rushing touchdowns. Now, here's the question I have with that. The thing that's going to decide for me a little bit of if DeAndre Francois is going to be my quarterback is basically how are you coming back from the knee injury? Because 
if he was a traditional I'm under center or if he's a shotgun guy that's a pocket guy, then I'm a little less worried about that because, yeah, you need to plant your legs and use your legs to um, throw with power, but you don't necessarily need to come back from the knee injury as strong as you are as a mobile quarterback. With him having that mobile threat, is he still going to be that little bit of a mobile threat with the knee injury coming back from it? Is he basically going to be Adrian Peterson where I don't have to worry about it? Or is he going to be on the other side where it's like, wow, he is just not the same player since the knee injury? That's going to be told through the spring. That's going to be told through training camp. We're not going to have that answer right now. But to me, that is the biggest question is, what are you going to be post-knee injury because the run game is a little, it's not Michael Vick level. You're not running it most of the time. That's not the main bread and butter, but it is a little bit a part of your game if you're DeAndre Francois. I think that what's going to be really interesting is the fact that Willie Taggart has not coached either of these guys. Mm-hmm. These are not his guys. He did not recruit them. They're not attached to no him. No biases. And there's no biases. So mm-hmm. virtually, they both have a fighting chance to be the starting quarterback. And the system that Willie Taggart runs is also much different than what Jimbo Fisher did. Mm-hmm. Whereas Jimbo Fisher was very, very complex, very this, very that. There's much, much more simplified with mm-hmm. Willie Taggart. Much less complicated, but it's much faster. Because it's much faster and they run more plays, they, mm-hmm. at, at Oregon they ran, I think, almost 10 more plays per game than Florida State did. That, again, is something that I think goes in favor to DeAndre Francois. I think that, especially since he already had a year under his belt, um, or kind of... Yeah, has, it's a you know, freshman. Yeah. Um, so, he was still on the sideline. He was still in the building that first freshman Well. True freshman year. He's, but it, but it really now that wouldn't matter. But as a guy who, I think, they both they both now are virtually at the same spot because Francois mm-hmm. has a year that he played, a full mm-hmm. year that he played, and Blackman has pretty much a full year that he played. And both of them have to learn Willie Taggart's. And now they're the and, and again, like I mentioned, they're both on the kind of the level playing field. Mm-hmm. But with what I saw out of DeAndre Francois, he's a guy who I think is going to be able to handle that a little bit better, who's going to be able to move with the quickness and the speed of the offense a little bit better than a guy like Blackman will. Blackman, again, he is he has some really good traits about him. He can make some really strong throws, and we saw him make some really strong throws in, 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 in certain games last year. Again, mm-hmm. you're being thrown into the fire. You, you couldn't have expected really anything from Blackman. You just had a hope that he was going to at least be able to keep you in games, and that's what he was able to do as they ended up uh, going, what, what, what did they go, like five seven and, and six? Se- oh, okay, seven and well, six. Well, with their I was going to say game. like five and seven or something. With their ball but, game, though. Okay, seven and six. So definitely the worst season there under Jimbo Fisher, mm-hmm. but I think there's going to be, with James Blackman, he'll be more prone to mistakes and possible interceptions or a fumble than a guy like DeAndre Francois let's put would it the, be. And let's put it this way, because I just looked it up. They were 3-6 and six until they won their last four against Delaware State, Florida, Louisiana, Monroe, and Southern Miss. So three of those games, cupcake games, I'll give you the Florida one, even though Florida wasn't the same Florida team 
that we were used to, and we kind of knew they were going to get their coach fired at that point. But they really turned it around that last three games and then the bowl game to go seven and six. Here's a question that I was thinking about because I'm also looking at they also have, I believe, he is a sophomore heading into this one. And they have a senior and a sophomore, but I'm looking more at the sophomore because even in our comment section for last year's Florida State preview, a lot of commenters talked about this kid, running back Cam Akers. Where, oh, watch out for this guy. He's going to be a playmaker. And, yeah, he was 70 yards shy of 1,000 yards, which is no chip change. 181 carries, only seven touchdowns, though. And I know most people are going to go, Ricky, as a freshman, seven touchdowns is not bad. I just feel like his numbers might improve this year. But the question I was going to ask you is, what are the odds? And is it crazy to say that Willie Taggart goes with a dual quarterback? Where it's like, you know what? No one's won the job. We're going to play both of you evenly in different situations. Because we've seen I, some teams go to that, and it works for some teams. Could it work for Willie Taggart, or will he, if de facto, you're the number one guy, you're our only guy? I don't know. I don't necessarily know if I, for the most part, I don't think I necessarily like the dual quarterback type of thing. Because it messes up the rhythm? I, I, I think that it can. Um, there's certain certain situations and certain mm-hmm. plays, maybe certain games where it could be successful, but yeah. I don't think that that is a recipe for a season of success. Mm-hmm. Um, so I think that you have to fall with one guy. You have to go with one guy who's going to know that he's going to be the starter. He's going to know that no matter the situation, he's going to be in there. I think that's that's what's going to be the the most important thing and for you as a coach you mm-hmm. want to be able to know that you're you're just putting in one guy and you don't have to worry about this back and forth and is this is this going to be an issue that this guy's in at this point this guy's you know am I putting this guy in the right situation should it really be this guy no you don't want to you don't want to do that to yourself mm-hmm. especially in, in in your you know your first season where you're just trying to get back on the right path with Florida State after a really down year down year last season you go with one quarterback, and that's going to be your guy. That's going to be your guy. That's going to be your your top dog, the guy that you know you're going with, no matter what the game, who the opponent, that's who you go with. And I think, like I said, we've seen some dual quarterbacks where that they can be uh, successful. Like uh, when Alabama did it with, who was it, Blake Sims and Jake Coker. Mm-hmm. Like they had different situations where it worked. Yeah. But then we also saw... With Florida last year, where you had Felipe Franks, and then you had Everett Gold. Uh, no, it no, wasn't Everett um, it was, um, He was Florida Zaire, State. Um, Smith? Uh, no, not Smith. No. I'm going to look it up. You keep going with your but, point. I'll look but, it up. But the point was is that it wasn't necessarily a dual quarterback, but it's okay. You've done well for these three games. Or no, I'm going to put you in. You 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 did okay for these three games, but not good enough. So now I'm going to put it Zaire Smith. No. No, Zaire Smith is NBA draft. I think it's Malik Zaire. Malik Zaire, you got it. I don't know why. We just said Zaire Smith, and I just said Zaire Smith. No, it's because as I'm looking it up, and actually now I just got to it. Like I said Malik Zaire Zaire Smith, and I'm like, no, I've been talking NBA draft so much. We've had him on the mind. That's the name that I come up to. And then as I'm looking it up, I'm like, 
think it's Malik Zaire. I'm like, I'm going to make sure before I dart that one out of the mouth. But yeah, it yeah, was Malik so, Zaire. So Malik Zaire, that's correct. But they, <laughs> they, I mean, they had, you know, back and forth. Mm-hmm. Zaire starts. And there was and then, also Little Del Rio as well. Yes. And then Felipe <laughs> Franks comes in. At, like that. Florida, you already <laughs> sucked last year. This is just not making it much better. Dan Mullen's going to have that a lot, Fe- hopefully centered down. Felipe Franks had a, an outstanding, like, 60-yard mm-hmm. game-winning pass, you know, Hail Mary pass mm-hmm. that probably shouldn't have been caught, but it was. And, but, that was so, against but, Tennessee, man. But, again, that's – and it just everything went against Tennessee <laughs> last year. But that's not something that you want to work yourself into that yeah. sort of situation. Ooh. That that does not help the player. Mm-hmm. It does not help the team. The fans will go crazy. And as a head coach – you've really just kind of put yourself in a tough spot. Let me ask you this then. We'll get to what I said we were going to get to. The whole marijuana situation, although he wasn't charged, holding it for a girlfriend, what do you think of that whole situation with DeAndre Francois and now with Willie Taggart and Florida State? I think it's stupid. I think that the fact that the police have had been monitoring his house mm-hmm. for two months because they believe something was going on, mm-hmm. that's not good. I don't care if it's yours, if you're holding it for a girlfriend, if you're holding it for your mom. I, it doesn't matter. What matters is that you are on a team that's going to need you, that you need to have your head straight mm-hmm. and know what's important. And that's this conversation that Willie Taggart had with him, is that, you know, I have certain expectations of you on this team. And if you're going to be a team leader, we need you to act like a team leader. And that's a conversation that he needs to have with him. You know, everyone makes mistakes. College kids will make mistakes. That's a mistake that he made. I think that if he learns from that, knows that these are not the types of things that I can be doing, Mm -hmm. certainly not caught doing. Um, I, I think that, what he needs to do now is learn from that, grow, and become then that vocal team leader, and then with examples of good things that he's that he's doing then to mm-hmm. make sure that people know, guys, I'm all in on this team, and I'm not going to do anything to jeopardize that, nor do you want to do anything to jeopardize a starting job potentially, because if that's something that happens during the year, if you're caught with something like that during the year, or DUI or this or that, that's that's a potential suspension the only that you're going thing, to get from your from your head coach. And I'm glad you're that, bringing that, that, that up. That you're going to be out of of a game that your team may need you very mm-hmm. badly in what could be a very tight race. Well, and I'm glad you bring that up because for me, it's not like a oh you were you were a part of that. Yeah, you weren't charged. You're not going to be our starting quarterback. No, it's not like that. But the thing that I worry about is. You've got Willie Taggart, new head coach. He's going to have to, especially in this first year, change, not change the culture. Like, it's not something bad, but he's going to have to instill his own culture because his Florida State team, his Florida State locker room, hell, his Florida State practices are going to be different than Jimbo Fisher. He's got to make this Florida State team his and have his expectations on the on these players, basically. And the thing I worry about is I'm not necessarily saying it's going to happen. I'm not saying, like, oh, DeAndre Francois is a bad apple and yada, yada, yada. What I'm saying is, what if there's another slip-up, even if it's an accident, for whatever reason, Willie Taggart, we've said it before, I didn't recruit you 
yes, you have that coach young man situation of like, I want to be here for you. I'm here to help you grow. What you hear every coach talk about with their football players, mostly it's I build this relationship. They're like my own sons half the time or 75% of the time. Like look at the relationship we saw with Tom Herman and his guys, especially at Houston. And what I worry is that this learning moment for DeAndre Francois, but does it put him on a short leash to where I'm really tagger? I'm just getting to know you. We've already gotten off on a bad or a negative footing. And now the next problem, you, because you're on a short leash, it might not be, even if it's not an NCAA suspension, does it lead something from Willie Taggart and the football team to then have disciplinary action that wouldn't have been there if you didn't have this and whatever the next one, if there is a next one, not saying there is, but if there is a next time, that that would have been the first time, that would have been the warning and basically that you used up your warning with a coach that doesn't quite know you yet. Well, I, I think that you I think that you have. Um, for DeAndre Francois, if anything were to happen during the regular mm-hmm. season, I think that, that he's he, he's putting his his starting job in, in, in mm-hmm. jeopardy. I think he really is. And you know, Willie Taggart again, he he, he basically said to him and, and here's a quote, you know, quote, Go he's ahead, got he's gotta me. be smart about who he's around and what he's around and make good decisions. I advise him to just make sure he's around his teammates all the time. So uh, can I ask you a question really quick? Sure. Was it a Jim is it a Jimbo Fisher situation? Like is and I only ask this because are we going to see less and less of situations not necessarily like this but situations at all like this at Florida State because Willie Taggart might have a different view on it than Jimbo Fisher because this is A, not the only time we've heard a Florida State player in the news for something under Jimbo Fisher, but number two, it's probably a lot more tame and a lot less serious than the allegations and not charges, because he was never charged, but the allegations that was against one of his other former quarterbacks in Jameis Winston. Like, is this down the road after we get done with the season, after we get done with like three years, maybe do we look back on it and say, ah, it wasn't a DeAndre Francois problem. It wasn't a Jameis Winston problem. It was a Jimbo Fisher problem. And they, he just let the guys almost do whatever they want. And Willie Taggart had a better control on his football team. Uh, every coach is going to be different and yeah. in, in how they're going to handle a, a, a situation. I think you, you look at, um, you know what happened with Alabama when one of the guys I think we talked about it last off season mm-hmm. one of the guys was caught he had a gun on him you know stuff Cam like Robinson. that yes and there was no suspension that came down for him mm-hmm. and, and and you're going are you kidding me yeah are you kidding me there's no suspension guys mm-hmm. caught with a gun and there's no suspension there's another coach who could have been Willie Taggart who knows maybe he says that's that's a bit much for me mm-hmm. you're gonna you're gonna be suspended. Maybe he doesn't, but every coach is going to handle a situation differently. Yep. Every coach is going to handle a situation in the way that that they've had success handling it before. Mm-hmm. Willie Tagger, this is not his first coaching gig. He's been, you know, obviously Oregon, Southern he Florida. Dealt, he's dealt with. He's dealt with all situations all over the place. You think that there are things happening that that uh, we're not hearing about? 
Absolutely. Mm -hmm. This is not uncommon. Yeah. Guys do stupid things. Kids I do mean, stupid shit, all, man. All the times. I mean, there, there's. I'm, I'm sure there's there's parties and this and that and the mm -hmm. other thing that guys go to get caught at, you know, this or that and the other thing. And what their, co their coaches, to a point, and mm -hmm. it's to a certain extent, should be not putting it out there in the public because they're supposed to be trying to protect their players. Let's put it this way, and I'll use this as an example, and I hope that you're not mad at me for saying this. I never got this way because, A, I, when I went to college, I was a commuter student. And number two, I was a lame-o and just went home most of the time and played World of Warcraft. You were um, And video games. But, like, I've heard stories from you where it's like, although it was like, yeah, I went to parties, like, it wasn't every party you went to, oh, nothing happened. It's like sometimes the RAs were there and it's like, ah, you know what, keep it down. Where other times it's like, all right, we need to take some names, what's going on? Like, it just happens. It's going to be college. It just depends on how severe is it and what's actually happening. Yeah, I, I think that, again, it's it's one of those things where... As long as DeAndre Francois is able to stay away from getting his name into any bad activity, just bad situation, he, he's going to be okay. But to your point that you just made, you just you, you never know. I, I mean, you could be doing something that you believe to be completely harmless mm -hmm. and truly be in the wrong place at the wrong time, and that has happened, I think, to a number mm -hmm. of guys. You know, in different things that we've heard in in sports too, mm -hmm. and in college sports. Sometimes the guy has done something egregiously wrong. Sometimes they are in the wrong place at the wrong time, and it's like, crap. You know, so I, I think that sometimes if you're the coach then too, you have to look at the situation and be mm -hmm. like, was it just an unfortunate situation where you were in the wrong place at the wrong time? Or is it just an unfortunate situation where you're not hanging out with the right people? And then Willie Taggart saying, you've got to hang out with the right people. If you're mm -hmm. with your teammates... If you're with your teammates, I feel like you're going to have a better chance of staying out of trouble than if you're off with people who – that, that he could at least say that I don't know. I he mean, knows his teammates. He's going to know the guys on the team. Basically, and that's what who I he's going to want him to hang out with to be influenced Like by. if it was me and I was the coach, I would kind of do kind of like the same advice my grandmother and then my mom have given me in the past of, all right – you're a starting quarterback for Florida State. Because of this, every decision that you make, whether it's going to a party, whether it's going out with these people, you need to ask yourself this one question before you say yes or no. How will this affect my starting job? And will this affect my starting job? The second one before the first one. If it's yes, then how? If it's no, then you're good to go. If it's no, all right, go. If it's yes, how will it affect? And then make the decision from there and kind of to yourself, is it worth the risk? If X, Y, and Z go how they were, how they could go and it does affect it, are you willing to live with that consequence? That's kind of what's got to go on in the mind and not everyone either thinks about that or, I mean, there are times I've made decisions where I haven't necessarily thought like that where it's like wow that could have gone really bad and if it did i probably would have gotten in huge trouble for that and i probably shouldn't have done that and thank god my stupidity did not ruin my chances or my great situation that i had going on for me at the time and i think deandre francois just has to in the back of his mind think about that because in my opinion 
he is going to be the starting quarterback. Mm-hmm. He's going to win the starting quarterback job. I think that he has. You took my question. I was going to ask you. I, I, I think that he has a stronger arm. I think he's more accurate. I think that he has better quarterback vision. He certainly has better legs. We'll see how, how he comes that back. will go. But he he just has a leg up on things mm-hmm. over James Blackman. And that's not to say that James Blackman is a bad quarterback by any stretch, mm-hmm. but he is just not what DeAndre Francois is. And that is why Francois is he, – he would have a lot at stake if he were to do anything wrong or get caught with anything during the regular season. But I really would like to believe that he has enough respect for his new head coach – who has already talked with him, who has sat him down, who has said, okay, you made a mistake. We're going to move on from it. You're going to learn from it, as I know you are, Mm -hmm. because you're doing community service and you just can't be involved in any criminal activity for a certain amount of time, blah, blah, Mm -hmm. blah. You got the point. Now we're moving on. We're only talking football. Make sure we don't have to have this conversation again, basically, is what's going on. And you kind of... Answered the question I was going to ask you to end this is basically, will he be the starting quarterback? And and how about you? I'm going to say the same thing. I would go with DeAndre Francois. The only reason I wouldn't go with DeAndre Francois, or not necessarily wouldn't go, but the only way I have a quarterback question is if he is not where I want him to be. If he's either not where I want him to be with the knee injury, and if he's not that same quarterback— if he cannot adapt. So basically, you can't be as mobile as you used to be. Can you adapt to being more of a pocket passer? And if not, if that hinders what we want to do in our success, then I think about making a change or I think about maybe starting Blackman over Francois. But right now, if I had to say it, I would go at Francois because he doesn't turn the football over as much and his stats prove he's got more yards, He like more completions, more touchdowns, just better, better, better than Blackman right now. But this is where you guys come in. Let us know what you think down below in that comment section about Florida State, about who should be their starting quarterback this year. I want to thank you guys for watching and listening. Housekeeping here at the end. If you want to help support the channel, make sure to check out patreon.com backslash podcast. $10 tier reward. You can be on the podcast each and every month. One podcast at MVP each month that you're at that tier. Also, if you want to buy a t-shirt, that store link also down below in the description or it's on mostavailablepodcast.com where you can catch MVP each and every day. And last but not least, please go to iTunes, Apple Podcasts, and give the Primetime Podcast a five-star rating. Type in a little something-something about what you like about the podcast, why people should listen to it. It would mean the world to both Brandon and myself. Want to thank you guys for watching on YouTube. Want to thank you guys for listening on podcast services around the world. And as always, have a good day, everybody. Thank you for listening to this MVP podcast. Follow us on Twitter at Most Valuable Pod for more great podcasts.